Welcome back to If We Can Keep It, podcast from Keep Our Republic, where we explore themes from our nonprofit's work. Today, we're sitting down with one of our great national advisory board members for a unique international perspective on our domestic state of affairs. Deborah McCarthy is an expert on U.S. foreign and national security policy. In her impressive diplomatic career, her last posting was serving as the United States Ambassador in Lithuania. As an aside, listeners might want to tune into her podcast, The General and the Ambassador, which has had dozens of conversations with U.S. generals and American ambassadors focusing on every corner of our globe. When Ben Franklin was leaving the Constitution Hall, he was asked if the founders had decided to have a republic or an autocracy. And he said, we have a republic if we can keep it. Ambassador Deborah McCarthy, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, Ari. Well, it is great to have your perspective quietly behind the scenes with Keep Our Republic. And then today for our listeners, just sharing with folks just an incredible, really large aperture as you look at multiple continents on which you've worked. And maybe share with folks just a little about your incredible career and what drew you to a career in, in diplomacy. Well, thanks for a question. And I won't go on long because you can tell a certain age of a person when they have a very long resume. But I had a long career as a diplomat in the State Department, uh, traveling to many interesting countries, mostly Latin America and Europe, and wrapped up as ambassador to Lithuania. And since then, I've been working in different capacities with different groups and associations and also spending some time going back to school, which was a very interesting process, and now enjoying participating as a volunteer in, in a number of associations. And over the years, the countries in which you've served our nation, representing uh, all Americans, regardless of party, that's, that's the role of our, our embassies. I think you've seen many different systems of government. And you've seen, I imagine in some of these countries, governments have changed uh, just in the blink of an eye. So maybe, maybe you can speak to what it was like serving in a more totalitarian state uh, versus one that has multiple political parties and a free press and those in between? Well, one of the big uh, aims of what we do overseas in all our embassies is to obviously advance our core values as a nation and to seek to encourage um, countries to join the democratic fold. Obviously, in some countries, it's a greater hurdle than, than others. But I think it's important for your listeners to understand how we go about trying to encourage a more open democratic system, no matter what the local authority is at the time. And it's done by working not necessarily through governments, but also working through civic associations, through educators, through the media, to try to encourage greater participation. The other key element is obviously reporting on what is happening, where there is truth, where there is mistruth, where in some cases governments are indicating something, which is perhaps misinformation or disinformation about what's happening in the country. And so that's another key element is to pierce, pierce the veil and to stay ahead of, of various threats, threats to democracy in the country, threats that are coming down the, the path that could affect the United States. And I'm not talking about physical threats. And I'll give you a concrete example. When I was posted in Lithuania, many, many Lithuanians warned us about the threat of disinformation, not only in their own country, but also in, in countries nearby in the other Baltics and others. And they also warned that this too would happen in the United States and was in fact happening. In this case, it was disinformation coming, coming from Russia. 
And I must say at that time, we were not, our ears weren't open to it, although a few were, thank goodness. But they, in this case, they taught us a few lessons on how to manage this information, how to work with your populations or their, their associations, their schools to help push back. And we initiated, for example, we trained a lot of journalists who were, were poorly funded at the time to try to do more investigative reporting and to push back and to use all the tools of social media to do it. So we try to encourage in countries overseas greater democracy, but we also learn lessons for our own democracy as well. And just to remind listeners, Lithuania was a part of the USSR. It's now, I would editorialize and say, fortunately, very fortunately, it is a part of NATO and therefore a great ally of the United States is we all are watching this horrible war grind on in, in Ukraine. What, what years, well, remind listeners, which years were you ambassador there? I was there 2013 to 2016, and in 2014, Russia went into Ukraine the first time. Exactly, exactly. And then you alluded to Latin America, and, and certainly going back to the Monroe Doctrine, we've always had a unique relationship with our neighbors to the south, but maybe you can speak to some anecdotes from your, your time and your postings there. One concrete example would be what has happened in the past and what is happening today in, in Nicaragua, a country in Central America, where the yoke of uh, one tyranny was thrown off through a revolution that some countries supported and others did not. And then that revolution failed to complete its promises to its population leading to democratic elections that took place on several occasions, only to see the country swing back to those who started a revolution but became autocrats themselves. So that would be a country where, which, which is ruled by autocrats, essentially. So countries have their ebbs and flows in democracy. And obviously, the U.S. adapts what it does depending on, on the situation. But it is, it's a country that I followed for, for a long time, and it's sad to see the state it's in. Another example would be Venezuela, a country that I worked on, not in, but worked on for a while, a country that had a vibrant economy, a very talented population, and that swung in a certain direction. And here we are 20-some-odd years later, a country that is mired in poverty and also with major political problems that at obviously people are still working to to resolve. So again, an ebb and flow in terms of levels of democracy. So it's not always a straight line for countries. Well, and with that in mind, uh, we're both proud patriots, and I would imagine most of our listeners are Americans and care deeply about the future of this country and, and to varying degrees know about the last 200, almost 50 years of American history. We should not assume that the next 250 years of America will be this robust democracy. I'm reminded of some of the founding phrasing, a more perfect union. I don't know what perfect means, but maybe maybe you can speak. I think you used the term ebb and flow. Give, give, give folks some examples of what you mean by that. Well, on ebb and flow, I can give actually a statistical example. I was looking at some surveys as to how the U.S. has been perceived over the years. And I found one uh, Pew survey from 2021, which noted in interviewing people in 17 countries across the world, that overall, 50% of those surveys thought that the U.S. used to be a good example to follow in terms of democracy, 
but not so much anymore. So that was quite revealing. More recently, in a survey done in June 2023, uh, when asked how the U.S. compares with other nations in terms of democracy and political stability, 22% of the countries felt the U.S. was less democratic than other wealthy nations, and only about 33% of the countries surveyed saw the U.S. as more politically stable than other countries. So our, our stand, I shouldn't say our standing, but the perception of us as an example of democracy has obviously flipped over a period of time. This is, this is not sudden. And at the same time, and this is what is extraordinary, we are, we are deeply engaged across the world in helping, as I noted earlier, to build democracies. We have tons of programs. We're one of the most generous countries in the world. We train leaders. We participate as electoral observers. We support free and fair elections. We do many, many programs. And countries are eager to have this kind of assistance, especially rising leaders in a number of countries. So the world is somewhat worried about us, uh, but at the same time sees us as being able to build their democracy. So it's an interesting juxtaposition of, of on the one hand, perceptions that were not the best example and yet eager for our examples and our suggestions and our engagement in building their democracies. I, I really appreciate you sharing those, uh, those statistics and the, the perception. I'm going to say something I've never really thought of, but democracy almost is like a verb as compared to a noun. It's an active state. And I guess when you, you've seen this at play in some of the countries that you've mentioned, are there quantifiable benchmarks and terms of how many media outlets, for example, or how many political parties, or how, when we throw around this term that means different things to different Americans, how, how, what, what, what lens are you looking through? Well, a lot of times for sort of official programs, and I, I must note that many programs that take place overseas to help countries don't always come from official sources. We have, we're very generous as a country. And so different, there are set benchmarks that, let's say, official assistance has and these are whether internal rankings, excuse me, internal ratings and or ratings by the UN or OECD and other organizations. And you see the ranking of the measurement of development of countries, which encompasses the term is, is, is very broad. And so the programs will vary by country. Interesting enough, when you raise the issue of media, I have often asked in places that I was assigned to, what is the pattern of ownership of media? In other words, who owns traditional media? Who are the investors behind if there's a social media platform locally? And so forth. And it's very, very hard to map. And so that as a measure of openness, as part of measuring democratic development, put it that way, is harder to come by than you think. Let's revisit what what the Lithuanians alerted you as the United States ambassador to just rampant misinformation coming, I assume, in Lithuanian language, perhaps in Russian language. But this is something that Americans, I think, regardless of political parties, should be sensitized toward over the next 400 some days. We just know that the eyes of the world are watching our election and there are some bad actors out there. Well, in, in the case of, of, of that country, one of the 
lessons that I think that I know they taught us and that links directly to what Keep Our Republic is is focusing on, which is to engage in an education process at every level, starting at the local level, for training on better recognition of misinformation slash disinformation. I'll use the two of them in an intermingled sense. So that educators, local business leaders, other leaders were better able to work locally to ensure that correct information, be it on whatever issue, was being disseminated. Now, the country is much smaller, but what they were missing were the ability to have the media participate heavily in that. For, as I said, journalists make very, very little money. So we worked a lot with other European countries to provide them up-to-date training or more opportunities and training them on recognition of what social, on social media platforms, who was real and who was not. So in that sense, as I said, coming from the government as well as other institutions, they worked at the local level to ensure that they they were better aware. It's no perfect science on how to do this. But critically, what was critical was to work at the local level, which I know Keep Our Republic is doing, making people aware of not only their rights, but all the rules and regs and what, what if and who to turn to and so forth. I'm trying to think what the I'm thinking of Chippewa, Wisconsin or Scranton, Pennsylvania, and what would be the uh, sister city, so to speak, in uh, rural Lithuania. But regardless, you've been very generous with your time. And as as we wind down, I did want to touch on uh, the cyber element, because I think when some listeners think of overseas actors in our elections, they might have their minds go to that uh, as compared to pushing narratives that just have Americans hate other Americans. If I'm understanding correctly, the Lithuania model was, was, was it putting the finger on the scale to, to, to support one candidate or was it just to have Lithuanians have an angst and be frustrated with other Lithuanians? And then we'll get to actual cyber incidents. Well, in, in the case of Lithuania, the aim of the disinformation, misinformation was to sow doubt about the institutions, to sow doubt about the country's independence, to sow doubt about its historical record as to who did whom to what, and to sow doubt as to whether it truly was a European nation. It was that NATO was going to stand next to it. So they were sowing doubt on its European ties, very different from what, from what we, we see in, in other places. And in, in the case of the United States, it, obviously this can take many forms. But I think it's important to note that since our last presidential election, in terms of outside influence, there has been so much that has taken place both on the cybersecurity, but also in the education front, whether coming from a, at the federal level, from associations, from think tanks, on how our system can and will work. And so I think we are much stronger from that point of view, and on that specifically, I'm talking from a cybersecurity point of view. The, the other element that I think is important in terms of how the world perceives us and the world's influence 
The world also sends election observers to our country. Since 2002, the excuse me, the Organization for Security and Economic, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE, has been sending observers. 33 of our states do allow international observers, and there are different protocols depending on the state. They write reports, and the world is watching. So how we conduct our elections, and I know that our, um, all our officials and local election officials are much more aware of the threats that can happen, but they have received not all, but many have received a lot more training and there's a lot more awareness. But there's also, in that sense, this international resource can also be of assistance. And they're usually people from very, they're, they're triaged, they're picked, they're known, they're, they're professionals. I did it once actually in Nicaragua and it's an eye-opener to be an election observer. It really is. You learn tons of how it happens on the ground. But that's also also a resource. So often we speak of foreign threats to our system, but there's also foreign assistance to our system. And that's just but one example. The world cares about how we carry out our elections. The world is watching and the world is looking to us to to be a leader in on the global stage. And I also know with the national party conventions, the State Department organizes, I'm sure in Milwaukee for the Republicans, Chicago for the Democrats, there'll be all sorts of foreign parliamentarians and ambassadors and others seeing democracy and party politics uh, at play. My understanding is in Estonia, this was, a, this was some time ago, but really the, the first time the world saw what a catastrophic cyber incident could look like when the financial sector was attacked. And it, God forbid something like that happens now years later in the United States during the election period. But maybe as we wind down, and I don't want to end on a negative note, what, what is your assessment? Do you think there are in capitals of our adversaries, folks thinking about this the next 400 days and what could be poked or prodded? There are a few other countries besides Estonia. Costa Rica very recently had all its government systems under, basically they, they didn't work for several days. And the outpouring of assistance was extraordinary, including from the United States. It was immediate and extraordinary. Our advantage as a country is that our elections are done state by state, and there's always the backup paper ballots. The fact that it's not run out of a central system is to our advantage, and it gives us a lot of leverage. So if something happens at one local level, it does not happen at a national level. And that's where, oddly enough, built as a, a composite of 50 states, that's one of our inner strengths. And I think we should focus on that. Well, Keep Our Republic certainly does. While we might be headquartered in Washington, our operations are in uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And it's incredible when you get into these states, the, the role of a municipal clerk or in Pennsylvania county elections director across 67 counties. Let me ask you a final question. So the podcast is called If we can keep it. An homage to the old line from Ben Franklin. It was rumored to say that when asked, what type of government are we going to have? And he said, a republic, madam, if we can keep it. So as you look with everything that you've seen around the world, are you optimistic uh, about the next 250 years? Do you think this unique system of government that we gave birth to as a country and showed the world is, is something keepable? I think what is critical is that we keep faith in our election system or it's been the strength of the country. 
rebuilding that faith that's been eroded for multiple reasons, I think is, is, is a critical, is a critical element. And as you make reference to some of our founding fathers, they disagreed violently between themselves on what kind of a government we would have. They had it out between them on occasion. And yet they came together to, to begin this experiment that is the United States. So I think if we can keep faith in our election system, or, then we can obviously continue to be an important beacon in the world. Well, thank you for, uh, for all your work. Thank you for being a part of Keep Our Republic, and thank you for your time and perspective. Thank you, Ari. This has been uh, a true pleasure to participate. Thank you. <laughs>